0: Hey, we're so glad to have every one of you out there with us today. And we're going to start on our second part of the series, What Now? Now, last week we talked about the temptation to dwell on the question, when will things get back to normal? But we decided together that that really isn't the right question to ask we talked about how we shouldn't waste this time longing to go back to how things were, but instead praying the prayer, what now, Lord? What now? We decided last week that we needed to pray for guidance. Pray for guidance. We need God to step before us. And We need to ask the question, God, because of where we are right now, what do you want us to do next? Next today, part two. First was pray for guidance, and part two is ask the hard questions. Ask the hard questions. We need to do an investigation and ask ourselves where we are, where we've been, and where we need to go next. And we need to be honest about that. We need to ask the hard questions that make us uncomfortable, the ones that challenge the status quo. In the book of 2 Samuel, David was asked some questions that he probably should have been asking himself all along. And because David didn't investigate his heart, he made the biggest mistake of his life. Now at this time, David's no longer on the run with his small army. He's the king. He's the head honcho. And he's got a great approval rating. Things are going amazing. It's all great. But... Have you ever noticed that sometimes when things are going really good, that that's the time when we are knocked off balance and that's the time when we're not paying attention and we kind of rest on our own accomplishment a little bit. And that's when temptation comes and it's easy to get off balance and fall because we're not ready for it. Well, this is a situation like that. David had just defeated him and his army, just defeated the Ammonites and the Syrians. And so David decides that he could relax. Relax. He could take a load off for a little while. He, he normally would be out commanding his army, but instead he decided to let Joab go. You know, Joab could handle it. He had earned a vacation, and they didn't really need him. And that's where we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. It says, but David remained at Jerusalem. <laughs> I like these next two words. It says, it happened. It happened. What happened? I was going to tell us. It happened. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. David had been walking victoriously with the Lord for 20 years. He wasn't looking to fall. He wasn't looking to ruin his life, but he let his guard down. David was a married man. Bathsheba was a married woman. And now look, and I've heard this all growing up. I, I heard so many pastors blame Bathsheba for the whole thing. And I guess you can do that if you really feel like you want to. But look, she was bathing on a roof because water was scarce. And that's the place that you collected rainwater. And and David wasn't even supposed to be in the palace. He was supposed to be out at war. But not only did David objectify this married woman, he lusted after her. But then he took the next step and he had someone track her down, who she was and uh, how he could get a hold of her. See, this was a calculated fall. This was on purpose. He had her brought to him. And at the very least, he committed adultery. The Bible doesn't specify whether this was consensual. But at the very least, David took advantage of the power dynamic. He was the king. She was just a common person. And we do know that David, uh, excuse me, we do know that the Bible never condemns Bathsheba, but it's clear that David has made the biggest mistake of his life. And then he takes the next step and he sends Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to the front lines and tells everyone to retreat after him, essentially murdering him. Look, it's obvious that David is asking the wrong questions in his life. He asks, he's asking the question, how do I cover up this pregnancy? What can I do to get out of this? How do I get out of this situation without embarrassment? And he just keeps making things worse and worse and worse. But then God sends a messenger to David, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan asks David the right questions, the questions David should have been asking all along. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought him up and he it grew up with him and, and his children. And he used to eat of the morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests that had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lived, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan says and looks at David and says, you are the man. Nathan lays out this story of a rich man stealing from a poor man. This is a reverse Robin Hood, right? The worst kind of villain. And David's furious when he hears about this guy. He wants to do something about it. He wants justice. And, and Nathan's like, dude, obviously this story is about you, David. David. Now, don't get confused when Nathan here says, you are the man. He's not congratulating David. He's saying, you're the villain. Verse 9, Nathan goes on. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do this evil in his sight, you've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you've taken his wife to be your wife, and you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Why have you done this, David? What are you thinking? You've done the opposite of what God's law says you should do. The Bible doesn't ever tell us that David second-guessed himself during this whole series of horrible events. He doesn't stop and think, is this what's right? Is this the best decision? He just keeps doubling down on his mistakes and digging deeper and deeper into a hole. David faced some tragedy because of this. And he really was never the same again. Now, he did get right, and God forgave him, which was uh, amazing. And it just shows how deep God's love and favor is for us. But he still felt the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. So here's the point. If someone retold to you your story, but changed the characters, changed the identities would you say, that's not right? What's that person doing? Why would anyone live like that? They're wasting their life. They're hurting those around them. And then the big twist at the end of the story is obviously, hey, look, dude, this is your story. It's you. You are the villain. You are the man. You are this person that's making those mistakes. If someone retold you your life story, what would you say? Chris Renzima is an awesome artist. You should check him out sometime. He wrote a song called 17. And uh, it it goes like this. Feels like I was so much wiser when I was 17. I saw the world in just two shades. I didn't stand in the in-between. If the man I was back then saw who I am right now, I wonder if he'd be disappointed in how he would turn out. I don't know if you can relate to this. But I was, I was very black and white in my judgment when I was younger, and I still am to a, a, a certain degree. And I remember feeling like, look, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do things different. I'm not just going to settle in to those grooves that everyone settles into. I am going to be different. And look, sure, there's a lot I didn't know as a 17-year-old. I was an idealist, right? But I wonder why we lose that sense of hope. And I wonder how often we actually ask ourselves, am I who I always wanted to be? If I retold to you your story, would you like the main character? Would you like how they turned out? Am I always who I wanted to be when I grew up? Now, I'm not talking about calling as much as I'm talking about character. I feel like David didn't stop and ask these questions. Is this the man that I want to be? He had seen King Saul and he had seen how Saul had, uh, was corrupt and selfish. And he probably said to himself, that'll never be me. I'm going to do things different. But here he was, adultery, murder. Those are big words. There's no way 17-year-old David ever thought that those words would ever describe him. Adultery, murder. Look, right now, there's no better time to ask yourself these type of questions. What now, God? I've got this time. Things are canceled. There's not a lot going on. Am I who I know I should be? Am I who I wanted to be? What now? What now is we pray for guidance. We ask God to search our hearts. God, what do you, is this who you want me to be? And next we begin to ask ourselves some hard, uncomfortable questions. But the problem is, is we are great storytellers of our own story. and we have these excuses, this is why you need a little more background or you should have heard what she said first. And we find it so very easy to to make ourselves the hero of our own story. But what if that's not the case? What if we are the cause of all of our biggest problems? And what if right now, during this crisis, it's the best time for you to say, maybe I shouldn't go back to normal. God, what... Should I begin to change now so that I'm better than normal on the other side of this? Right now, while things are kind of in this weird holding pattern, right now, when I have an opportunity to gain perspective, to change course, and to make sure that words that I never thought would describe me, to make sure those words don't describe me. It would be a shame. To waste this time. So let's real quick look at four questions that we should ask during this time. Four ways that we can ask during this time. Is this who I always wanted to be? The first one is this. Is this who I wanted to be financially? A lot of us are figuring out that maybe we weren't where we ought to have been. Here's a question. What were you doing that almost led to your undoing? What were you doing that almost led to your undoing? This crisis has exposed to many of us that we have bad financial habits and we're not prepared like we know that we should be. What do you wish that you were doing financially that would have set you up to weather this crisis? Nathan, the prophet would say to you, you are the man. (laughs) You are the cause. Now's the time to make those changes. It's a wake up call time. So wake up. Just about every financial expert tells us that we need to have six months worth of savings. Congratulations to those of you that did. But what about the rest of us, right? Now's the time to say, is this who I ought to be? Is this who I wanted to be? And now's the time to change. Let's learn these two truths from Andy Stanley about finances. I want is better than I owe. It's better to go without than to owe money on something. And the pressure of I owe is way worse than I want. It's okay to want things. It's okay to desire things. I want is better than I owe. Two, a financial hole is normally due to a lack of self-control. Ouch, right? I don't like that one. A financial hole is normally due to a lack of self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says it this way. A man without self-control is like a city... Broken into and left without walls. A lack of self control always leads to a loss of control. So save more, spend less, get out of debt, stay out of debt, and open your hands to give. We need to stop blaming everyone else for our failures. We are the man, we are the person. And now's the time to make those changes so that we're ready for the future when our next crisis hits. It might not look like this, but there will be struggles. There will be time. So what can you do today to prepare for tomorrow? Two, is this who you always wanted to be relationally? One thing we probably all experienced in this time is how much we need People. Why do we have this innate desire to see people, to talk to people face to face? Science even tells us that our brain looks for faces in everyday objects, and that's called pareidolia. And that's a phenomenon where we see faces in different things like the grill of a car or a cloud or most famously the man on the moon. Why do we do this? Because we are made in the image of God. We are made, just like God is in relationship, we are made to be in relationship. You were not made to walk alone. And if you're isolated and lonely, chances are you're very depressed. You need others. But here's the thing. Relationships need to be cultivated. They don't happen on accident. And don't give me that excuse that, well, no no one ever reaches out to me. Uh, The people that say that are also people that don't reach out to anybody else. The Bible tells us a person that wants friends must show themselves friendly and hey here's a great opportunity to do that we, we just have uh that question out there like are you having a house party hey are, invite some people over this is a great opportunity for you to get to know people and to start cultivating those relationships maybe the relationship you're seeing problems with is your marriage and this quarantine has been a pressure cooker and your marriage is showing cracks and maybe you've figured out that i don't even know if i like this person let alone love them You need to check that out. That's not okay. The Bible tells us that we ought to love one another like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And a marriage issue is not just a marriage issue. It's a spiritual issue. We need to check these things out when we see these cracks. Maybe the relationship problem is with your kids and you just realize you have no common ground with your teenage daughter. Hey, COVID-19 might just be the wake-up call you needed. So wake up. Address the problems. Don't rush back to normal. Work at being better than normal. You got to first own your slice of the conflict pie because it takes two to tango. You could be a better husband. You could be a better mother. Start with you. You are the man and let Christ begin to change you. Because one day this virus is just going to be a story that we tell. And the story can be that it was a catalyst that saved your marriage, saved your relationship with your son. Or the story maybe ends up with you making the biggest mistake of your life. We have to ask the hard question. Jesus himself was the greatest at doing this. Constantly aligning himself with the will of the Father and separating himself and praying and saying, God, uh, is this your will? We saw that in the garden. We have to ask these hard questions. Is this who you wanted to be financially? Is this who you wanted to be relationally? Is this who you wanted to be personally? How's your worldview holding up? Are you asking questions that you, maybe you never asked before? Have you found yourself praying when you weren't before? You know, the Wall Street Journal tells us that in the month of March, the searches, uh, Google searches for the word prayer skyrocketed. How has your faith been rattled? And if this season has created tension, don't ignore that. It might mean that you're learning something new or remembering something that you forgot. Some of us probably discovered that we have a little bit of prosperity gospel in us. The idea that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. Basically, karma rewrapped, right? That God favors some people over other people. God owes me. And we know that that's not biblical. But sometimes when these crises hit, we're like, God, what are you doing? You know, you ought to, nobody in the church across America should get sick from this because you love all of us. But that's not how it works. We, we know that, that the virus doesn't discriminate. The Bible says that it rains on both the righteous and the wicked, the just and the unjust. And we remember the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. If anything should, good should have happened to somebody, it should have been Jesus. But an innocent person died for all of us guilty people. And I'm so glad that I don't get what I'm owed. How's your worldview holding up? Don't ignore those things. you got new questions. Investigate those things. That means you're uh, growing. Is this who you wanted to be personally? If your faith is being tested, great. It's time to learn. And lastly, is this who we want to be as a church? Are we content to come out of this the same? Are we just wishing to go back to what we were? Or are we asking God, how can we get better through this? What now? We've got to ask the hard questions. What are our shortcomings? Where are we failing to be the church that God wants us to be? We've got to ask these questions. We've got to pray these prayers. What were we doing that we don't need anymore? Not to say that those were bad things, but maybe they, and maybe they were very effective things at one point, but now we're putting resources into something that isn't connecting or bringing value. What are we not doing that we need to be doing? Last year, our long-range prayer team led us in this prayer. God, what do you want us to be? And what do you want us to do? Hopefully we never stop praying that prayer. God, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? Over 170 years of this ministry, it's changed over and over and over again. It has had to. When this church started 170 years ago, women wore bonnets and bodices. Men wore three-piece wool suits. And it wasn't until 50 years after that that the air condition was invented. Who knows how long it took to get that modern idea installed in the church? I'm sure it was a big deal when the first guitar was played, let alone when the drums came on the stage. But life is change. And without those changes, we wouldn't be the church that we are today. And I dare say we wouldn't be multi-generational and still connecting to people. So what are the changes that are coming? obviously not the doctrine, not the God's word or the mission, but changes to the method. What does church look like in five years? We talked about this already, that crisis accelerates change. Things are going to be different. Are we ready? Are we thinking forward? God, who do you want us to be? Are we ready to adapt the method to make sure that the message is still reaching the people? We've got to ask ourselves this question. Is a church that's lost its influence even a church at all? Several years ago, some brave leaders in our church before my time led the push to get in a better financial position. And cuts were made and some people were hurt. But we're going to make it through this crisis because we have margin. And those changes then set us up for today. So two years from now, what will we wish we had done? Two years ago, we invested in live streaming our services. There wasn't a lot of pushback on that, but it took a decent investment. And there were some conversations about whether or not those people would ever, uh, you know, step through the doors of the church. But I think ultimately we all decided, hey, look, God's word getting out there into the community and getting out into the world is good. The Bible tells us his word does not return void. And because of that change, we were ready for the future. And we did see people come after watching online first. But if we would have waited three months ago, we would have been panicking. People were buying up cameras and computers and all kinds of stuff. And everything was out of stock. And we would have been in real trouble. So what do we need to do today to get ready for tomorrow? Look, David made the biggest mistake of his life. He wasn't thinking about who. He was just... Reacting, he was just living, not stepping back, never contemplating, is he going in the right direction? Someone told his story back to him, and he hated the main character, but it was him. Are you asking those questions? It's a perfect time, life's on pause still, and things don't look like they're changing maybe anytime soon. Is this who I wanted to be financially? What changes do I need to make? Is this who I wanted to be relationally? What cracks am I seeing in my life, in my my world that I didn't even maybe know were there, but I'm tempted maybe even to ignore them right now? But those are warning signs. Those are wake-up calls. Is this who you wanted to be personally? How's your spiritual life? How's your walk Is this who we want to be as a church? You are the man. We are the people that make those choices to get us where we go. So what now, Lord? What now?